Conic.ai's synthetic data platform equips developers with the data they need to build products effectively while achieving compliance and security. Shorten development cycles, eliminate cumbersome data pipeline overhead, and mathematically guarantee the privacy of your data with Tonic.ai. Please visit tonic.ai slash stackoverflow for more information. Head on over to that link and let them know the show sent you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined, as I often am, by my wonderful colleagues and collaborators, Ryan Donovan and Cassidy Williams. Hey, y'all. Hello. Hey. So today's episode is in some ways near and dear to my own heart. We are going to be talking with a great guest, Liam, about his experiences, education in China and the U.S., and then working in those two countries and then trying to bring the two together. My path to Stack Overflow took me from tech reporting to working at a Chinese company and traveling back and forth between the U.S. and Shenzhen a lot, and then to Stack Overflow. So I have a small bit of experience with this, not as much as our guest, but it was fascinating and in, and in a lot of ways, like sort of awe-inspiring to go to Shenzhen and just see the way they worked there, the way that things were vertically integrated from the engineers and the programmers all the way through to the factories and to their supply chain. And DJI, I think, is still, you know, sort of far and away the leader in its consumer electronics category, which is interesting. All right. So without further ado, Liam, welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Benjamin. Thank you, Ryan and Cassidy. I'm Liam. Um, I'm the founder and CEO of Immersive. Yeah, tell us yeah, a little bit who you are and what is Immersive. Sure. I was born and raised in China and then, then I went to the U.S. for college. I uh, studied computer science at UC Berkeley and graduated in 2014. After graduation, I briefly worked in the U.S. for, for a year and a little more in the Silicon Valley. I worked um, as an experienced designer at LinkedIn and then a product manager at Totango, which is an Israeli startup company. Then back in 2015, I came back to China and founded my first company called Zaihui. Last year, I left my previously started company and founded my current company, Immersive. We are set to be the live stream design and production tool for the future uh, content creators. Yeah, that's how I spent my past 30 years. (laughs) And so I guess, yeah, tell us a little bit about what it was like trying to work between those two cultures, for example, on the education front. You know, were there things that you recognized when you got to Berkeley that were familiar or different? Did you have to adapt your style of learning for computer science? Yeah. So, um, you know, when I came to Berkeley at my 18, I got a very strong cultural shock. The way we study in China was very submissive or compliant. Uh, we just, you know, do homework and uh, try to get a higher grade. But uh, I think Berkeley is a pretty open and innovative place. Um, I got to take, you know, many different courses. And starting my first year, I took like, you know, more than 20 different courses. And then I focused on the area that I was mostly fascinated in, which is human-computer interactions. I love design, I love art, and also like studying human minds, which is, you know, the psychology. But then I think technology is the future 12 years ago. So I found a great intersection, which is human-computer interaction that studies all these three areas at the same time. So my major was computer science, but my focus is, is HCI. That's great that you got to explore a little bit. That was something where when I was in college, I was a part of this program to help international students practice their English and get more immersed in everything. And and that was a pretty common thing where people said, I have a lot more creative choices in how I study, which I'm not used to. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. So just like like overwhelmed by so many different choices. I was like, no, I, four years is totally not enough. I want to spend like five <laughs> or six years studying all these undergrad <laughs> courses because, you know, there's no way going back, <laughs> but I can always go forward. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And then in my first year, my English was not that well. So um, yeah, it, it took me nearly a year to ramp it up. And so from there, you went to LinkedIn. What was your experience like working in Silicon Valley? What did you sort of learn from that? And you know, what did you find that you were able to take? And, you know, were there things that you didn't like in particular about some of the Valley culture? Sure. I think, you know, LinkedIn is a very typical large corporation in the Valley. So um, it's a typical enterprise company. The work-life balance is really good. We got unlimited PTOs and omnipotent healthcare <laughs> insurance. The life was pretty laid back. I usually came to the office at 10 a.m. And then Normally, I leave before 5 p.m., so then the hours was you know, perfect. I can spend you know nearly a half day of my you know, life to explore anything else. So I you know, even uh, started a, a side project. I, I couldn't call it a startup, but it's a side project. You know, do a lot of hiking. So yeah, even I, I think I was pretty uh, welcome to work remote. Sometimes I I took an you know, overnight flight from California to to Hong Kong or to Beijing. The internet over the air was pretty good, so I you know kept working on the on the plane uh-huh. yeah, over. <laughs> uh, and also, I think working in uh, LinkedIn or you know most of the large corporations, people follow very rigorous structure and procedure and best, best practices, right? So um, we do a lot of research for our design projects. Um, we try to come up with many solutions to pick before going forward. So the research was very rigorous. And then we do a lot of review sessions for, you know, for the, for the PRD, for the spec, for the design, even for the code reviews. So um, when, when the design, you know, got some challenge, they push back to, you know, take more time to, to refine it before going forward. And I feel like at LinkedIn, we got an independent researcher roles at, that, that role comes earlier compared to companies in China. You know, even very large corporations in China don't have, you know, independent researcher roles. So overall, yeah, my, my impression would be great work-life balance and very rigorous on you know, all the procedures and, pra- and practices. That's, mm-hmm. I would call it good, but um, very different from the practices in China. Interesting. The work-life balance sounds a little different from what I've heard with the, uh, the yeah. 996 <laughs> uh, working system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we definitely want to get to work-life balance as part of the show. But just to touch on a bit of what you said, you know, my experience at DJI was wonderful in many ways, and they did do a lot of sort of research and development. But as you kind of pointed out, that always then ran through sort of the central decision-making apparatus of the senior executives and the founder to decide, you know, do I like this or not? And more of their gut feeling and their decision versus putting it into the hands of independent researchers or user testers before launch. Yeah. And many of the times the researchers are trying to prove that the the boss are right. Uh, It's like (laughs) internal consulting. Yeah. Many of the decision-making process are not that transparent and uh, reverse, I would say. So yeah, I guess maybe tell us a little bit then about why you made the decision to leave the Valley and to go back home and found a company and, you know, what it was like to return there and and try to work in that mode. I would say like in 2015, that year, there was a boom, right, in the stock market and uh, in the investment sector. So um, especially the internet companies in China 
at that time was you know fast was growing super fast you know, a lot of new old old companies mobile solution companies um just starting at that time so i would say I, I realized that that's a perfect time for me to start up a company and because you know china i was definitely more familiar with the china market and you know there are way more funding going to the market so it's like a no-brainer for me if I want to start up a company. Like compared to the U.S., I would have more resources and more recognitions and, uh, and like even vacant market at that time. So is that I, I I don't want to stay in the great work-life balance because I think I was still young. I can you know try different things and try extreme things, uh, be aggressive in my professional career path so i want to do startup and then i do the comparison i feel like china would would definitely be a no-brainer because um i I would have a much better arbitrage arbitrage um, and values in in that market Uh, so then i decided within within only one week i sold my houses and cars and then return in a week (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's interesting i yeah i don't know many people said i was i was done with work-life balance i was sick of that i was ready to (laughs) Ready to burn out. But, uh, so yeah, I guess maybe tell us a little bit about when you went there and, and started to found a culture and hire engineers there. Like, what were the things that you were able to rely on to drive that first company through the impressive growth that it had? Yeah. So comparing the engineering cultures in the in China and the U.S., I would say Chinese engineers definitely hustle to execute. Sometimes you can call them all sourcers in some companies. They do the job very fast without even mm-hmm. understanding the context. And they don't try to propose any ideas at all. They are super compliant to their product managers. So they just do it super fast, super focused. Yeah, and also I would say... Um, they just work harder. They just do a lot for their career accelerations, particularly for promotions like leadership and management. Uh, some of them try to learn English because they are trying to adapt to new technologies. Definitely, they you know the nine and six is kind of ordinary, especially for like middle management. I, I heard people like work until like eleven or twelve every single day for for several years. Uh, that's normal. And you know, some tech leaders, they yeah, they don't take any days off even for the weekend but in some instances i would say like chinese engineers are compared to the u.s they are more specialized into some focus and details problems because i think u.s engineers tend to think at a higher and more critical level of the business uh, the user pain points the strategy and the market sizing so they tend to challenge they tend to think big uh, higher but you know as a compromise they tend not to delve into details, the technical details or any sort of details. So that's why you can, you can tell most of the China's internet products are very complicated and also powerful because there are tens of people you know, working on very specific uh, different projects all at the same time. And I see many, many Chinese engineers, they, you know, I wouldn't say it's bad for them when they don't care about the context and business of a product because they don't want to spend time thinking about that. And instead, they want to spend you know, tens of time just studying and researching the very specific technical solutions. Um, so I would say it's kind of a, craft, a craftsmanship for, you know, for the sort of um, details. And there's also a very interesting comparison that in the U.S., as I said before, people tend to do a lot of um, product research, innovation research, and design research before pushing to the development. Because in, uh, I think in the Valley, especially, um, engineers are harder to hire 
to find and to retain and way more expensive. So they try to, you know, restrain the, the usage of this um, resource, human resource. But in China, there are millions of new grads every, every single year. So they don't want to do research beforehand, but they, you know, do extensive A-B tests all the time. So when we have you know, three different solutions, you know, just develop all of them and see how the users react. And, you know, due to the huge population in China, you have tens of users all the time. So it's easy to see the results when you, you know, push all the solutions to production and, and get a very straightforward answer for that. So that's kind of interesting as well. There's pros and cons to both approaches, I feel like. It's it's interesting to think about like, well, yeah, if I were in China, this would happen a lot faster. But then if I were in the US, maybe we would make it work in a, in a certain way sooner because we did that research up front. It, I, I could see how there's benefits to both styles. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, it takes me back to my time at DJI. They always had a new crop of young engineers. They had their robotics tournament. <laughs> they would hire you know 10,000 engineers right out of college every year who were eager and willing to take the place of the people who are moving on or moving up. And then to your point about A-B testing, right? Like a lot of times they would release so many products so fast that it was like the only products they were competing with were were their own. But as you said, it didn't matter. They were just like, let the consumer decide, like we'll push, just keep pushing it out, pushing it out, you know, like very focused on, like you said, the technical specifications, like making just going higher, 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 tuning it higher, higher, higher. Yes, yes, exactly. And that also enriched to a higher level that in many, many Chinese companies, um, when we try to develop you know, one direction of a product, they have like five teams or 10 teams developing the same product at the same time. Or I, I mean, at least the same direction at the same time. And they want to see which, which team wins. So I guess now you have a new company. Maybe let's talk a little bit about it. And it's near and dear to our hearts, especially Cassidy does live streaming too. The idea is to create stuff that will help creators doing video and live video, building an immersive or personalized sort of streaming platform. Like tell us a little about your new company and the idea, and then maybe we can talk about how you're trying to bring together the best of both US and Chinese in your hiring and in your company. Sure, sure. So at Immersive, we're trying to develop this um, live stream design production tool for the content creators. And when we say design production, it's something similar to an analogy would be Canva and Figma for live stream. So Canva does a great job for democratized design for non-professionals, right? Like professionals use Photoshop and illustrators. These softwares are super powerful, but very hard to learn. And these softwares don't inspire people to design, right? They assume as a designer, you know what to design and we give you the tool to, to make it happen. But Canva, you know, they provide lots of uh, templates and assets. So even if you're not a designer, if you don't have that taste of design, you can, you know, choose from, you know, tons of solutions to come up with a not so bad solution very fast. So that's one inspiration. The other one would be Figma. So Figma replaces um, Sketch and uh, Illustrator in the sense that they can collaborate at the same time. And as we see the live streaming booms um, and keeps booming, there are uh, more and more advanced contents coming up. And some of the you know higher level contents require you know multiple people working at the same time to deliver that quality. One single person cannot drive the, everything all together. So we are a web-based product so that different people different like producers and hosts and speakers different roles can collaborate the design together some of the people in charge of you know maybe the the audio and some some of them in charge of the layouts and some may take charge of the interaction with the the audience yeah uh, so we are very much like Canva and Fima for live stream for non-professionals but who really care about the quality of their contents 
That's awesome. I would love to play with it. It sounds like anything to make this kind of stuff easier to do because there's so many softwares out there, but it's challenging and there's like a big learning curve. And there's so many people I know who want to start live streaming, but I have no idea where to start because the tools are so difficult to use. Yeah, we can definitely feel the pain point. Every time I look at Cassidy's setup with her great camera and her lights, I wish there was a tool that made it easy for me to look half as good. So yeah, I mean, uh, you know, one of the things we talked about before, Liam, is that you're hiring on both sides. You're trying to run a remote first company. So talk to us a little bit about hiring engineers, both from the US and China, maybe from other countries as well, since it's remote. And, you know, the way you're trying to marry these two, in some ways, very disparate, very different, you know, engineering cultures. So we're trying to combine, you know, the pros of both China and US practices to form this kind of crazy hybrid. We think the best practices in the US would be, you know, breakthrough innovation. I think people in the US, and especially in the Valley, when they start a company, they want to make a 10 times better innovative idea. If it's not 10 times better, they won't even try to start this company. They don't want to, you know, a very simple copycat. They, yeah, they want a breakthrough innovation. But, you know, in China, many, many people, I would say like most people try to just do a copycat and do like 1.5 times better, slightly better and more integrations, stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So I would say if I want to go global, I would definitely embrace this sort of innovation. And especially I feel like um, consumers in the US, they appreciate innovative new products a lot more than users in China. I had this sort of pain that uh, back in 2015, we developed, you know, very kind of innovative product in China at that time. But our customers were the restaurant owners. They just want to pick a cheaper products. Even it's very hard to use. Even it's, you know, it looks ugly. They don't really care. They, I think everything they are trying to, to, uh, to make a decision would be the first is uh, price. The second would be all in one. Even in day one, even they, uh, they are a small business. They said, okay, I, I cannot use your product along with uh, Alexi other product. At the same time, I want to, you know, one product does everything. So it's not re- really friendly for a startup as well. But in, I would say like for global markets, uh, for developing a best of the breed product, you definitely need 10 times better aggressive innovation. So that's something we are trying to learn from the US practices. So everybody are trying to be more innovative, uh, more creative, more critical, and try to challenge each other more um, to generate absurd ideas. And that, you know, maybe one of them would work. So but for the in, in, for the Chinese practices, I'll definitely pick the, you know, the hustling and the hardworking practice, we want to move fast and break things. Um, I think that's one of the few advantages um, um, Chinese companies, Chinese engineers uh, still keep yeah probably within the same size but like you know uh, about 10 to 20 engineers but we are trying to ship things you know like maybe two times faster than our competitors so it's kind of um, uh, interesting right Um, how can you innovate uh, along with fast building that's the problem we are trying to solve Uh, so far it looks fine we found uh, (laughs) found, we found a balance we're not practicing like nine and six Uh, that's that's crazy you don't have any time to to retrospect to to think through to create but still we work you know more hours than uh, people most people in the u.s therefore we we do have you know some buffer to innovate uh, to create uh, to be inspired all right everybody it is that time of the show i'm going to shout out the winner of a lifeboat badge who came on stack overflow and helped to save a question from the dustbin of history but it'll knowledge around the community awarded yesterday to A-B-H-I-J-I-T. Not going to try to pronounce that. 
set difference versus set subtraction. All right. If you're curious, we have an answer for you in the show notes. I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us with questions or suggestions, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you enjoy the show, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on Twitter at Arthur Donovan. And if you have a great idea for a blog post, please email me at pitches at stackoverflow.com. I'm Cassidy Williams. I'm head of developer experience and education at Remote. You can find me at Cassidoo, C-A-S-S-I-D-O-O, on most things. Hi, I'm Liam Zhao. I'm the CEO and founder of Immersive. You can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. I search on Liam Zhao. LinkedIn would be the best place to find me and talk to me. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye.